Can you scoot your chair closer? Is that all right? Uh, yeah. Nice. It's <laughs> now I can relax. <laughs> Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Hello, I'm Andrew. Oh, I'm not, not a fan of that one bit. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I cut you off? What, you need all the airtime solo? Huh? No crosstalk. Look, I get a seven-second intro, you get your half-second, I'm Andrew, and then you shut the fuck up, all right? I'll admit, cross-talking on the names, not a good start. So my bad for that. Um, Man, I was going to say we've been following up the last app quite quickly, but no, we've I've just like just released the edit of the James <laughs> yeah. Bond app after quite a long delay. A couple of weeks. So to right. me, it feels like this is like the second podcast in two days because I've just been listening to us during mm. the edit for a while. I but had some shit on, you were at a wedding, mm-hmm. getting married. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting married to content, baby. That's right. Married to the pod. <laughs> Uh, no, not my not my wedding. You would all be invited because I probably know <laughs> Every, all of you yeah, personally. I was say, that's <laughs> probably not that much of a joke, but uh, yeah. Uh, so this week uh, we're going to give you a spoiler-free review of the new Edgar Wright film Last Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho, is it not? Edgar Wright sounds like a fucking joker. Hi there, I'm Edgar Wright. This is Last Night in Soho. Not well, like he's, the he's a pretty funny fella. You got to you got to admit. Yeah, he's like British Joker. Do I see this pen disappear? And with this handy marker... Is that yeah. enough of that? I think I think that's enough of that. <laughs> We're back, baby. Oh, yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah. go right movie. Last Night in Soho is a sort of 60s-inspired, uh, thrillery, kind of horror-y, kind of psychological-y kind of film. Mm. We'll talk about it later in, the, later in the piece, and we'll give you a more specific definition of its genre then. He would say it was a thriller. Just because he's British, right? Yes. Yeah, great, cool. And uh, on account of the massive gap in his teeth. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thriller. <laughs> yeah, sort of a whistle and then <laughs> a whistle and a thriller. Yeah. Big shout out to Edgar if you're listening. A really big shout out. <laughs> like a bigger than, bigger than average shout out, I would say. <laughs> we gave Steven Steven like Spielberg himself last week. Like he was listening, thing. and we didn't even acknowledge him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry, Stephen. <laughs> um, what were you saying? I was probably just going to ask if you wanted to get on get on with the news. Sure, let's I do it. I was probably going to ask if you wanted to get on with the news. Okay. Why'd you do that? We have wanted to mix it up. Give now. you a couple options. Okay. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. Why would I use that option? <laughs> Well, you're going to fucking have to now, By aren't you? By giving me options, you mean making me have to edit shit out? Not going to lie, brother. That's a beef bulletin. I started I started about a tone and a half too high. Okay, and I was you, too did focused. you adjust? I was too, no, I did not. I was too focused with uh, with trying to cut you off so that you had to leave in that oh, shit with the, leaving the mic off. You mean you started, I started too, like high, too high and then you fucked yourself when you yeah, had to go well, up. Yeah, I went out of range. Yeah. It's, been, it's, been, it's been a couple of weeks with a... Yeah. Mm. You had so, a rocky start, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe you got to bring one of those little tuning whistles in. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm sure that this has been... Unlistenable so far. <laughs> 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 All right, hit me with that first beef bulletin. Oh, God. That first bullion Cuban news. 
Jonah Hill says Netflix complained about his, quote, fart machine pranks on Don't Look Up. <laughs> Jonah Hill. Now, Don't Look Up, that's the next Adam McKay film, yeah. right? Jonah Hill has been using a digital fart machine on the press tour for Don't Look Up to the apparent ire of Netflix executives. Speaking of Jimmy Fallon on the Tonight Show, um, the actor explained that the machine was a gift from Julia Louis Dreyfus and that he is. Like, a digital fart machine. Does that mean that I feel like, like us could just put a real like um, uh, a real slant on like a peanuts like <laughs> on whoop, whoop. <laughs> no, just like on the name there. Say that name again of that famous Seinfeld actor. No, <laughs> Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Okay. It's interesting. That's not what? how. That's that's nothing. Just how would you say it? Julia Louis Dreyfus. Andrew calls her Julia Louis Dreyfus because he doesn't believe she had cancer. Okay, did she? See, see, he's doubting me. He's doubting her already. Hoisted on my own petard. <laughs> um, okay, so he went on the press junket, and he was was he fart machining himself? <laughs> was he fart machining others? <laughs> quote from quote, quote from Jonah Hill. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if I with all these fancy people and I have like a really stupid three year old fart machine, right? And so, <laughs> and so we did this big fancy press conference when I did the fart machine when somebody was talking about climate change. <laughs> My castmates did not find it funny. Meryl Streep, being the OG legend that she is, did find it funny, which is why I ride with her anytime, day or night. <laughs> so again, he was fart machining other people uh, Jonah Hill also said that Adam McKay told him That Netflix formally asked Adam McKay multiple times To tell Jonah Hill to stop using the fart machine during interviews As they did not find it funny <laughs> no, no joy in life, those Netflix execs, I'd say He says, so I just want to say officially I love you, Netflix I love working with you I'm a huge fan I watch your streamer But no corporate entity will ever silence my digital farts Motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> Don't look up, stop trying to Netflix. control my Stop trying to control my toots <laughs> Good shit um, Let's see if I can find it There's another Don't Look Up headline That I have ro- rolling around in the old sock drawer here somewhere Okay um, Meryl Streep thought look uh, thought the Look Up cast calling her a goat was an insult Oh no <laughs> Oh, we've got some cross-generational problems here Meryl Streep was called Oh, she's the goat Meryl Streep was called a goat by Jennifer Lawrence and Jonah Hill while filming Streep uh, took the word literally Oh no <laughs> Yeah, because that is definitely a bad thing if you're <laughs> yeah. of, of Meryl Streep's age <laughs> She'd be in Meryl Streep's point of view and she's like They sent him a goat? What? What, yeah. a, what a bizarre Insane That's kind it's of like, offensive Oh, the, the old fucking bat yeah. yeah, very nice. You're like, no, it means best of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence said, we all had called Meryl the goat. We were doing a photo shoot and I said something like, oh, goat. And Meryl kind of looked at me uh, and, and said, that's right. Just tell the old goat where to go. <laughs> I was like, Meryl, no. Goat means greatest of all time. And she goes, oh. Okay, all right. So it was immediately oh, we're cleaned all, up. We're all, right, all good. So this is a nothing headline. If she was like, Meryl Streep gets Jennifer Lawrence fired from film for calling her goat. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> okay. Now that fart machine thing, I just got to ask, was that like, was that, was Jonah doing method acting? Was he doing some, uh, some fucking Joker era, um, who's that guy? God, I had the name and I fucking lost it. 
Who's played the Joker? We're gonna Jack Nicholson. Okay. Next, chronologically, uh, is helping me. Who's that? Uh, uh, Cesar Romero. Okay, we got Heath Ledger. No, no, I, I was, I was going to mention the most useful ones last. Okay. Uh, I know exactly which one you're going for, so I'm trying to think of all the other ones first. <laughs> Mark Hamill. You're fucking running out. Heath Ledger. Yeah, we've, done we've Caesar already Romero. done Heath done, Did I say Jack Nicholson? Yes, you okay. said those two words. It's not Jared Leto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, is the fart machine some Jared Leto shit? All of that's staying in, by the way, but is it Jared oh, Leto or what? Yeah, I said it as entertainment. Like, is he it's doing all method acting in. for his character, or you why has he got a fart machine? You can't have Shut me be delivering zinger. Why has he got a fart machine? Just because he didn't want to do the interviews, and he thought it'd be funny to okay. fuck around with a okay. fart machine okay. during all the interviews. <laughs> Uh, right. Here's another one. Ridley Scott tells journalists to quote "Go fuck yourself" after the last jewel question. <laughs> right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, it's, Do a the very, voice. it's a very. It's a very. This is the interviewer first, so don't stop me. <laughs> okay. It's a very realistic film. The interviewer began. It looks more realistic than Kingdom of Heaven or Robin Hood. If you're talking about, then <laughs> Ridley Scott interjected, "Sir, fuck you, fuck you, thank you very much, fuck you, go fuck yourself, sir." Go on. Why? What? I don't understand. Maybe he just didn't really appreciate being compared to um, the Robin Hood film and uh, Kingdom of Heaven. Why either of those two films? Is there something specific? Is that like well, a, Robin is Hood that a is def- Robin Hood is definitely like an old. It's definitely like a like a period like a medieval period. Piece. I don't know what this is about. So is it about? I'm kind of stalling because my phone is completely. Yeah, this crashed. is. A, I'm fucking lost, dude. I really didn't think you'd ask me any follow-up questions. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that story? Just be like, ho, 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 ho. Okay. And then give me like a good 15 seconds while it's my phone wakes I reckon up just, I reckon just kill Chrome on that one, buddy. <laughs> Can't. Got too many other tabs open. My phone has over 100 tabs and oh, handles fuck. it just fine. Okay. I've got, I've, got, I've got a great one to end on. I've, I've remembered. Sorry. News, news is about to kick straight back into gear, fella. Right. Okay. All right. Great. So, uh, we've got a Harry Potter 20th uh, I'm t- I'm anniversary reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say you're hungry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now ask why. Why? Because I had lunch a while ago. Oh. Fuck. Is that what it was like to listen to that headline? Yeah. Just some completely innocuous inane no, shit. What? No, I'm hungry. That was pretty... All right. I expected... When you said ask why, I expected like something funny, not like because it's been a while since I last That's ate. That's why they call it an anti-joke. And the reason it's an anti-joke is because it's true. Because it's a joke that was told to me by my auntie, no. my mum's sister. That's true. Unless your aunt was no, hungry and she said all right. Here's the last headline. Mm-hmm. Fine. This fucking profile that the New Yorker did on Jeremy Strong. Okay, yes. It's some very funny shit. Yes. So if you don't watch Succession, uh, Jeremy Strong plays like the rich, uh, uptight eldest son of like a Rupert Murdoch type figure. And the show is like a black comedy drama about this rich ass Murdoch family type family. Uh, and this whole profile that's like a series, uh, the, the culmination of a series of interviews that this journalist Michael Shulman did with actor Jeremy Strong. Uh, there, there's this whole series where they they go real deep on doing a profile of someone. Yeah. Uh, so, this, so I think... Uh, Probably not the same. The same sort of idea is that uh, article that we read out about Robert Pattinson uh, a little while ago, and before that, the one about uh, Nicolas Cage, where he had a King Tut figure yeah, that's right. his leather jacket. So similar kind of like insane levels of goldmine shit coming out of this interview. So this uh, this interview sort of uh, hit the headlines recently because Jeremy Strong doesn't seem to understand that the comedy show he's in is a comedy. 
Yeah, this is okay. So <laughs> we're seeing a lot of headlines get pulled. So the the pull quote is um, that Kieran Culkin told him after the first season. So he he was talking to Kieran Culkin, and he said something like, "I'm worried that people might think that the show is a comedy." And Kieran Culkin said, "I think the show is a comedy." And he thought I was kidding. Yeah. And so I think the misconception here. I don't think Succession is a comedy. I agree with Jeremy Strong on this one, and I think Kieran Culkin is not. It I, is a comedy. I, it's, it's a show is funny, hilarious. But it's a fucking drama. It's yeah. really not a comedy show. Like Tim Robbins, I think you should leave. Tim Robinson's I think you should leave yeah. is a is a fucking comedy show. I think Succession is a drama that's written that's in an incredibly funny way. And I think yeah. if if you said it was a comedy show, that kind of usually actually implies that like there's not that or like um Brooklyn Nine Nine or whatever, like where it's like a serial kind of comedy thing. I think the I think he's right about that. And I think everyone just everyone's I, taking that to mean he, he's like he doesn't see that it's funny at all. But he knows that there's funny shit in it, surely. I don't think so, man. I don't think so. So this guy says after the first season, he said something to me like, I'm worried that people might think the show is a comedy. Kieran Colkin says I think the show is a comedy. Jeremy Strong replies uh, I don't understand this this question in response, but Jeremy Jeremy Strong replies, "What in the sense that like Chekhov is a comedy?" And Kieran Culk says, "No, in the sense that I think it's funny." And McKay, no, that's a reporter talking about that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, whatever. And yeah. and so Adam McKay says that the that's what he likes about Jeremy Strong's portrayal of uh, the Kendall. Is it Kendall? Kendall. Yeah. So the, the reporter character. says when I'm when I was talking to Strong, I told Strong that I too thought of the show as a dark. Yeah, comedy. yeah, yeah. He looked at me with incomprehension and asked, in the sense that Chekhov is a comedy? And then the reporter says, no, in the sense that it's funny. Hello, dear listener. It's your editor here. For some reason, Andrew felt it necessary to go into bat for Jeremy Strong for an uninteresting amount of time, so skip forward 6 minutes and 30 seconds if you don't want to listen to him prattle on. Love yous. The show is funny. The idea that a journalist tells you your show is funny and you look back at them like, fucking what? Right. This motherfucker doesn't get it. And no, like, <laughs> I, I think... I, so the other thing... Okay, so actually I was in... Uh, not to not to um, <clears throat> speak too highly of myself, but um, I did an acting course recently and there was something really interesting that was brought up that I immediately thought of when I read this article, which is that comedy... When someone is acting in a comedy, they are... N- it's immensely unfunny to try to be funny. And so the way that you yeah. act in a comedy is like you have dead. to play it 100% yeah. real. Yeah. And so if Jeremy Strong was playing this with any fucking intention of trying to be funny, yeah. he's probably trying to be funny. No, in the, the idea moment. that he doesn't understand no, that probably, it's a funny he's show. He's probably <laughs> trying to be funny when it's, when it's coming off as pathetic. Like, in the show, when he's trying to keep the crowd and it's yeah. fucking embarrassing, he's probably trying to be funny in those moments, right? But when it's deeply funny because of how unfunny he's being, he knows that he needs to play that completely Uh, seriously. And I think uh, he understands that there are funny bits in the show, but for his character, it's not a comedy. It's it's a drama. Yeah, this is the actor saying this. uh, He's right in the sense that it's not like a Chekhov comedy. It's not a Three Stooges type fucking thing. It's a drama show. It is. It's fucking sad. The end of season one is not a series end comedy. 
comedy show. Yeah, I suppose so. He's right. I think. I think it's. I know. Make fun of the guy. Like I think. Yeah. I think some of the shit. Like so. The point of this uh, entire article. The point and of the I, article I know I'm being is a little contrarian. Like fuck. Way too method. The guy is very <laughs> fucking method. See, here's, um, here's some other article. Yeah. Here's some other quotes from this article. I think it's right? more ridiculous so, that he like sent back a salad because he's like my character wouldn't eat this yeah. salad. I think you're wrong. I think this guy's a lunatic. But I'm. I, I, I don't. I don't. I, think I know I'm not going to convince you otherwise. I think I, he knows more about it than we do. Sounds like... He, whatever, it doesn't matter. Fine, forget it. Uh, <laughs> so he was playing... Uh, it says he was playing this activist in the Aaron Sorkin film, The Trial of Chicago 7, mm. which is like set in the 1960s, and it has all these protest scenes. It says Jeremy Strong asked a stunt coordinator to rough him up, and he also requested yeah, he asked to, be, to be pepper sprayed. <laughs> he requested to be sprayed with real tear gas. Yep. Uh, Aaron Sorkin quote says I don't like saying no to Jeremy but there were 200 people in that scene and another 70 on the crew so I just I declined to spray them with poison gas so here's the here's the key quote for me it's it's actually from Adam McKay and he says Adam McKay says that's exactly why we cast Jeremy in the role McKay told me because he's not playing it like it's a comedy; he's playing it like it's Hamlet. Yeah, but and I, I think the key the key term there is playing. I it. agree with you that a comedy actor has to play the jokes yeah. sincerely to sell the jokes, but it does really sound like Jeremy Strong doesn't understand that the show is. It, it, the way that this article is written, it makes it sound like Jeremy Strong's character believes that Kendall is like in the right and has like a has like some sort of moral purpose and direction that is serious and that there's nothing funny about what his character is doing. No, I think I'm with you up until you say he thinks that there's nothing funny because I think that his character can can recognise the humour in moments, but I think for for him to play the character, he has to know that his character wouldn't be finding this very funny. You know what I mean? Like I think if he thinks that the character's funny, I think he's too deep funny. in with his character. I think that he's way too deep in on his character because the show is obviously funny, and it's insane that we're arguing about this. <laughs> I think that I think that I think that this Jeremy Strong doesn't doesn't get that the scenes are funny because he's too deep in with his Kendall character, and Kendall won't find it funny. So Jeremy Strong doesn't find it funny. But I and think it's just weird how hard he's committed to it. He's not he's not arguing that the line like giving his name on a voice conference as Little Lord Fuckleroy. I don't think he's arguing that that's not a joke. You oh, know what I, I mean? He thinks that's like a baller move. He's like, yeah, no, it's me. It's a joke. He's telling a joke. Like yeah, his character the in that moment joke. is telling a joke. Right, but when he has a pathetic moment on screen that we find funny, in order to... He can't... Like, he's just being pathetic. Yeah, He exactly. doesn't think that's funny. He thinks he's just being pathetic and but the I character's th- having a moment of loss. I think he... Well, yes, but the, to him there's no difference. It's just to the audience. So I think what he's saying is, I have to play this like it's tragedy. Yeah. And and then people are saying, like, he doesn't understand that it's a comedy. And he's like, for, for me, it's not. Right. For my character, it's not a comedy. Right. It's a tragedy. But there are moments where you're going to find that funny because I've... So there's this formula that they use for comedy, which is tragedy minus dignity equals comedy. And in, right. in times when he's like being crookshanked off the stage or whatever the fuck you call that... Shepard's yeah. crooked off the stage. <laughs> it, there's no dignity, but he has yeah. to play it like he's still trying to maintain some semblance of dignity. So it's really no different to him. It's just the fact that we see him without dignity as comedy, right? So I guess from his perspective, it just doesn't seem like it would be a comedy, even though I'm sure that Jeremy Strong, the person, understands that there are funny moments in the script. I am gonna... absolutely confident that he does. Well, that's a lot less fun. <laughs> 
That's all right. I know he goes deep method, but I feel like the, I, I really feel like he got he got made fun of a lot for this fucking whole profile. I want to make fun of the boy. But You're taking the, th- the wind out of my but sails. But I think the thing that's the things that are there to make fun of are way fucking easier than this. Like all the the shit where he's like he keeps this like handwritten letter from Daniel Day Lewis about how to fucking method act, and then when the guy was like, "Oh, what did it say?" He's like, "I'm not telling you." <laughs> That kind of yeah. shit's funny. Or the shit about how he, he nearly like bankrupted a hundred and ten year old fucking uh, like theatrical troupe. Thea- yeah, from the acting uni that he went to because he wanted to spend one night with Al Pacino. <laughs> like that's fucking funny shit. That, right. And I think <laughs> that he doesn't realize is so ridiculous. But I think you can There's make fun of him for his here. fucking for who he is in real life. You don't need to look at his succession character. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he seems like. He's really fucking deep in it. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's some there's definitely some crazy shit in this article. So yeah. we'll see if we can remember to link it to the thing. Because this is a good uh, this is a good segue actually to beefness or pleasure. Oh, Well done. So we're gonna hit the mu- that 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 was the music, was it? Yes, that, that, that was it. That was, that was, that was it. Yeah. All right. Oscar well, didn't know it, but the music just passed him by. Unless the music's about to play now, it's already played. It's played. So it's, it's did you just played. play it again? No. No. Okay. Great. Well, Beef is a pleasure. Is a segment where we talk about other shit we've watched during the week that's not the official movie of the program. Mm-hmm. Great. So that's what this is. Okay. And, and we're, so right now we're gonna talk about stuff that's that's pleasurable. Yeah. Because there's no beefness involved. Yeah. We're off the we're off the beef clock. Mm-hmm. All right. We haven't clocked in. Yeah. This is this is not our this is our own time. Yeah. All right. I watched Succession. I binged the fuck through fuck. this. I've been putting it off for ages. Um, you I was fucking at the, got me onto Succession. Yeah. And then I kept up to date. I was going to say raced ahead. I kept up to date. Yeah. And you just didn't. You know, literally, the main reason I hadn't watched it was because I was forced forced to buy it on DVD because it's <laughs> not out on Blu-ray in Australia. They don't have a distribution deal, and you couldn't watch season two on anything that wasn't a Fox News rental service. And so I had it on DVD, but it looks like shit because it's a DVD. And so I didn't want to watch it. And so I didn't watch it. So anyway, I finally bit the bullet and watched it in 720p like a (laughs) fucking loser, like some plebeian. And um, it's a really good show. It's great. I really like it. I think it's one of the best television shows that exists at the moment. Like, no shit. Everybody's talking about it. But Yeah, it's funny. It's I think shit. it's one it's of so the good. few shows that's incredibly well written. It just mm. has good fucking writing. Weird that there's no jokes. I wish it there were more. It is very mo- weird. <laughs> it's a strange thing that there's no jokes, but as Jeremy Strong, I understand. No, I think it's um I, I think it's not very just very on brand. I think it manages to I think it manages to be incredibly funny at points, obviously, but it also like the overarching story is fucking great. I worry yeah. that they're going to Game of Thrones it a little bit, where it just is like, well, I guess Game of Thrones had more of a predefined. Where it's arc, like, but oh, this it guy, feels now like this they guy, could keep now this going guy, forever, now this guy, exactly. Now this guy, yeah. So I, I worry that they're not like we are. There are five seasons, and we're out. Like I think they should do this show. Like, have this. they announced that? No, well, not that I Logan- know. Of. Uh, the the main like the patriarch of this mm. like media empire family is like eighty, and so I suppose the whole point is that his four kids are trying to like garner favor with him to right. s- get to, to take control of the company. Right, but like 
Motherfucker's got to just die at some point, right? You can't just have five seasons of yeah. this motherfucker being like, oh, now Roman's my favorite. Now she's my favorite. Now right. Kendall's favorite. Like, right. At some point, you just have to kill the guy because then, yeah. then it'll be so much more interesting to have someone else that's hired at the company and all, all the dynamic changes. Well, I think it will be, but also I think you'll get tired of it then. I think you just want to know the next one. You know, I, I don't know. Me, me personally, I, I feel like it could easily. I feel like it's so uns- it's so unstable that it can just it, it, you could have that key, you could have this same dynamic going, but with someone else in the top spot. I feel like to end the series in a satisfying way, like Breaking Bad style, you you have to like bankrupt the company or some shit. Yeah. Like you have to have it all. You have to have the throne burn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't just And I also think someone. it's, it's going to have to be like a Seinfeld thing where there's like no hugs, no lessons or whatever. Where like, yeah, that's right. It, 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 like I'm not going to be happy if um, this is all speculation. So this isn't a spoiler, but yeah. like I suppose we got a bit of a sim knowledge here. But like I'm not going to be happy if like one person gets their happy ending. Yeah, like, exactly. I want it, I want the whole fucking thing to burn. Or it's got to be the most pyrrhic victory ever. <laughs> yeah, like you know, fucking so, Greg, <laughs> like literally, yeah. the company. But even then, that's too. That's yeah. that's not quite self serious enough. So anyway, yeah. um, it's it's incredibly funny. Fucking awesome show. Tom and Greg are the funniest fucking two characters have you made it oh I've, i was waiting for so long for the um you can't have a tomlet without breaking <laughs> a few gregs <laughs> dude in that scene i rewatched that scene a bunch of times you it's so perfect because you really can see him trying not to laugh at it <laughs> and they do this focus pull to greg in the background as well it's so incredibly Mo- fucking funny. Motherfucker that plays Greg is so funny. And if you want, if you want, and Tom, I yeah. think the guy, the, what's his name? He's got a weird fucking Matthew name. McFadden. We talked about it. it no, like- it's it's not McFadden. It's McFadden. It's Matthew. Mc- <laughs> it is. It's, it is. Fuck you. It's, it's Matthew McFadden. And um, that's a weird fucking name. But he's British. One mm. of the few people he gets my accent pass. He's allowed to do a, a, an American accent when he's not. Why's that? Uh, because he's British and he's fucking good at it. That's right. why. Because you wouldn't know if you didn't fucking see him speaking a very British voice. Would, be, would he be allowed to do an Amer- a Russian accent? No. Because oh. he's not fucking Russian. No. But he's allowed to do an American Also, accent. a friend of the show, Andre, was very pleased at how much I was shitting on the current Western media empire for always making Russians or Baltics the bad guys mm. the other week. And uh, I'm right. That me, sucks. Me thinks my boy was overcompensating a bit too it's much. It's actually fucking racist. Anyway, um... Yeah, those two are incredibly funny. There's one scene where um, <laughs> Matthew McFadden flips a desk that's some of the most... Oh, yeah. <laughs> just there's this <laughs> explosive acting. I'll, I'll probably put the audio in because yeah. it's so good to listen to. It's not a spoiler. Hey, scoot you over a little bit, buddy. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Greg. What is going on? Are you okay? Apologies, Greg. I may have gotten a little carried away. The dynamic where he's constantly worried about... Um, maybe this is... A, I, I won't spoil it then. The bit where he's constantly like eating specific food because he's worried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it's so good, dude. Oh, man. Um, Sarah Snook is fantastic. What about um, Sarah Snook do you like specifically? I think she's one of the best actors working at the moment. Honestly, unironically, I know that was a bait. Yeah. But she's, <laughs> she's, she's an, an attractive young woman. But um, Interesting. But, uh, but yeah, I think... 
honestly, it's incredibly well cast. I think all of the performances, there's not a false moment on screen ever, yeah. I think. I think that's and amazing. I actually like, I mean, I know like Brian, what's, what's the guy's name? Brian, Brian, is it Brian Cox? Cox? Yeah. I know he's huge, but the I haven't Patreon. seen him in much stuff. No, I haven't either, but so I like, think he's incredible. I like the idea that most of the, ca- most of the actors in this show aren't very recognizable. Mm. And like, it's, it kind of breaks. Like, uh, there's a couple like ma- huge actors that have had cameos in it, and it kind of ruins. Alexander Skarsgård doesn't ruin the show for me because they're good in it. But it mm. makes me go like, oh, I wish this was another unknown guy. Like Alexander Skarsgård. Like the rest of the show feels so true to life, and it's got a bit of a document. It's got the handheld camera that makes it. Yeah, feel like, like this a bit guy's of a- true to something else. True Blood. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, the uh, I don't know. I just feel like the rest of the show feels like so documentary like and so true to life and so mm. believable that when you get like. It just rips me out of it a bit when you say like, "Oh, it's Alexander Skarsgård." Or like, there was another one recently. It wasn't John Cusack, but it was something like that. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of documentary, like the way that it's shot is also incredibly clever. I think where they do that document, that mockumentary style, handheld camera and stuff. But during, there's an interesting video I see about this. But um, where the camera can be on a distant. Uh, like as if you're eavesdropping on conversations. Sometimes. No, no, it's more like um, it's more like it's handheld. It's more like it's more documentary style. The less control that the characters have over the scene. So like if they're in like this frantic fucking moment where everything's melting down, it's extremely shaky and documentative. Right. But if it's this really like an intimate calm moment, it'll be very much narrative style. Yeah, so type like, of shit. I, I, I haven't really noticed that, but it's just nice that it sort of seamlessly mm. rides the way between the two. And it's really that's well like done. An example of a way in which like the camera can add to the tension because if yeah. you if your camera is right in there and shaking around and you feel like you're intruding on the intruding in this moment, well, you're someone in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to like that kind of like ethereal observer from narrative. Yeah, type exactly. Stuff. Really interesting. Awesome um, show. One of the best shows ever made yeah. for sure. I hope that they, um, I mean, every episode is satisfying, but I can already feel myself being like, I just need this to tie up in a nice bow. I don't want it to fucking go on forever. Yeah. So as so we're recording I hope this, that I they do. Where there's like one or two episodes left in the season. Yeah. And they'll definitely do another season yeah. after this. So by the time this comes out, season <coughs> four will probably be finished. I could easily have like, two, <laughs> I could easily have two more seasons, but I reckon five, you're pushing it. You know what I mean? Like f- after five. Yeah. And five, you're like, all right, come on. Yeah, exactly. Because like, I just can't watch these people circle the drain any longer than that without yeah. needing a fucking good answer. Well, I can also see like, uh, so Brian Cox's character, the Logan, the, the patriarch Logan of the Roy. family, is in no hurry to retire. Like he just wants to control this company forever. Yeah. So. They're talking like a five or 10 year time scale for it so but yeah. I also feel like they've raised him having enough health issues that they can sort of just and this isn't really a spoiler because nothing happens and I don't know what they're going to do but they yeah. could kill him off at any moment in time and it would be yeah. reasonable yeah exactly. so but yeah. they could also just keep it going forever and I, I right, feel like I exactly. agree I would find it less interesting the more if they yeah. just keep it because there's only so many times this old fuck can like bait these people along. yeah and I've already seen this cycle where some some like where a character is like very worried that something terrible is going to happen to them and then it, it gets resolved yeah so I, I feel like they could keep doing that and it would just get less and less interesting we're like oh these people always fucking get off scot-free you know what I mean yeah exactly but um but yeah, great show. Really fucking love it. Highly recommend if you haven't gone in. Um, I think it's pretty broadly appealing. I don't really think this is like a niche thing to recommend to people. I think it's just one of the best drama, comedy, TV series on the market at the moment. It's a lot of fun. It's great. I, I watched it on Binge. It's on say, Binge. Yeah. I got three months free with Telstra. Yeah. Uh, hashtag ad. Hashtag sponsored. <laughs> but I bought the first season on Blu-ray. So Okay. So uh, hit up Andrew if you want to watch the first season on Blu-ray. Yep. Otherwise, watch it on Binge like a pig. Mm. That's yeah. right. Great. Cool. Uh, what have you been watching? Anything? Guess what, bitch? 
What would you like to see the Beatles do now? The show, a live show. Jojo was a man who thought he was a loner, but he knew it couldn't last. We should do the show in a place we're not allowed to do it, getting forcibly ejected. I think that's too dangerous. I mean, that is an interesting thought of you all being beaten up. <laughs> We'll have to do it sitting down. Then we get too excited. Ringo said that he thought we ought to just tell it like it is. I think we are. That's Beatles me. movie. Oh, Finally get to shit. talk about my Beatles oh, movie. Fuck, I'm sorry. I, I wanted so to do an episode <laughs> about this. I wanted to do an episode about this, but it's a very long documentary, and I assume that you are just not going to watch it, which is a shame because it's a fantastic documentary about the creative process and about just the process of making an album. And it just happens to be uh, like this will be an interesting documentary, even if it was about a band that I didn't really care that much about. What if, what if I'm not going to watch it because it's too long? You should watch the first episode and see how you feel after that. Okay, interesting. But what if I don't want to because it's too long? Oh, that's all right. That's why I said I said that you weren't going to watch it because it was too long. So I've accepted that, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you about it and give you like a, a review. Okay. Would you find it frustrating continuously? If no, I, I've already accepted it. Okay. I sort of fine with it. Actually, 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 the first thing I said was that <laughs> I, I I already realized that you are too narrow-minded. Uh, and uh, too much of a dumb bitch, stupid okay. to watch something that's long. Interesting. All right. So each of these movies, uh, each of these episodes is about two and a half hours, which is just incidentally, as a random offhanded com- comment, less than three hours. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and then and, and three hours is famously half an hour shorter than The Irishman. The what? <laughs> Sorry. Nah, so yeah, obviously it's long, and obviously I'm being a hypocrite. No, no, so what's, what's the setup for it? So, so the they're set, making right, an so album. We described it last uh, episode a bit, but basically the Beatles in the late '60s uh, had come off a, t- a run of albums with very high production value, where they spent months in the studio doing layers and layers and layers, and adding heaps and heaps of tracks in production to. Uh, your Sgt. Peppers and your White Albums and your Revolvers and all this shit. Mm-hmm. They went to India and put sitars and orchestras and choirs and all this crap on their music and all the synthesizers and stuff. And so they were kind of sick of it. But they also uh, uh, were, had recently had an experience filming a music video for Hey Jude where they filmed... The music video is basically them performing to an audience. And they were like, right. that was heaps of fun just playing as a band. We haven't done that in ages. Why don't we make our next... Uh, our next album just us performing tracks as a band with none of these overdubs and none of this studio trickery and none of these months of studio time creating tracks and tracks of elaborate production we'll just be a band again back to and, the basics yeah and they were like and we we gotta do another movie anyway so we can get a film crew in there and they can film us writing the songs because we've got sort of got some stuff but we can write, finish writing the songs we can rehearse them and then at the end of this whole documentary, we can have like a TV special right. and we can uh, perform the whole album from start to finish in front of an audience somewhere, somewhere cool. Okay. And so that's where the first episode starts is them being like, we don't really know where this is going to end up. 
but we're gonna spend this month. It's like three, it's like three or four weeks. They have a hard out. I think Ringo has already signed a contract to do a movie at the end of the month, right. and they have a free studio space available. So they're like, we can use this studio space. It's already free with cameras and everything all set up. So we'll just do this. And this. that's that's the premise. And the idea is that back in the 60s, they ended up filming something and it didn't quite go to plan and they filmed like 50 hours of video and 200 hours of audio that basically got shelved and the documentary that ended up being released was like an hour long and it was kind of gloomy and the tone of it was overall kind of like a bit morose uh, and didn't... Uh, it got released then like... a. a almost six months or a year after it was filmed. And by that point, the Beatles had broken up. And so the idea was, well, this film tone, the tone of this documentary that has now been released uh, is really morose and kind of sad uh, and kind of depressing. So it kind of feels like maybe this is a documentary of the Beatles breaking up. Right. And so it this time in the Beatles' career has had this reputation for being like a massive like a tragic bummer time, and like yeah. a month of just like hell for these guys. Right. And so the reason why this is interesting is because they've gotten all this old footage and all this old audio and synced it all up, restored it. Peter Jackson's done his like restoration magic on it and made this eight hour long three part documentary series that basically goes day by day and shows you like uh, day by day them rehearsing, writing the songs, rehearsing them and eventually at the end doing their famous rooftop concert which mm. is what they ended up doing. Right. Uh, and I think some of the most interesting stuff is just watching the creative process. And you literally get to watch like Paul and John like spitball lyrics for something and get back and like don't let me down and all these songs where they don't know the lyrics yet and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to make it figure out like harmony bits and they have shit ideas that don't sound great at all. And you get to watch... I think that's a really interesting part of the process that you don't yeah. get to see very often is, is seeing the ideas that don't make it and how those informed the ideas that do. Exactly. Podcasts like Song Exploder where they go through like all of the... Oh, this is... This sounds very different to what I first thought of, but I yeah. but I iterated a bunch of times and it ended up with yeah. what you hear, but it didn't sound anything like that at first. Like the song Two of Us, which is one of my favorite Beatles songs, is Just this beautiful <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. It's this beautiful like acoustic thing that the John and Paul sing in like an Everly Brothers kind of two part harmony. It starts off as this fast like electric rock song that kind of sucks, mm. and they they do it as this fast electric rock song for like two and a half weeks and can just never get it off the ground. And so I think it's really interesting. Uh, as this look at, he sort of takes away some of the hero worship from these guys because, like, everything it they didn't crank just come out, out for, of the ether. Yeah, because yeah. everything for the, they crank out in terms of albums for these eight years is kind of all great. And so you have this the Let It Be album that finally comes out is great. And so it's kind of easy to be like, oh, these guys just sit in the room for a week and they just shit gold and that's it. So it's interesting to watch the actual creative process happen. And I don't know any documentary about any other band. That, ha that is a documentary of the full creative process from start to finish, where you get to watch them writing the songs and recording them, rehearsing them, having all the discussions. And there's all this just like candid audio of them talking about, talking with each other as normal dudes. Uh, and it, it opens up, I, I, I got to stop talking about it in a second, but like it opens up lots of really interesting discussions that sort of throw off uh, commonly accepted stuff in Beatles, sort of Beatles history. Right. Like Yoko is widely ex was widely accepted in the past as being this like very domineering presence in these sessions, but in the video you see in in this doco, she sort of sits in the corner and doesn't say shit the whole time. Right. And the Beatles are very friendly and accepting towards her, mm. and the Beatles have this very frank discussion where uh, they say John's spending a lot of time with Yoko, and Paul goes, "Yeah, well, that's 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 his girl, and they love each other, and we just got to accept it, and we got to compromise." And, and there's there's a bit where Paul says 
yeah, this is crazy. Like, we're having a shit day now, and if it keeps going like this, people are going to watch this film in 50 years' time and say the Beatles broke up because Yoko sat on an amp. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> he says That's that, funny. and he has the foresight to say, like, this is this is crazy, and we can't blow this too far out of proportion. Right. Um, I don't know. Like, I I feel like I've been monologuing for a very long time, but it's, it's, it's great, and it's worth a look. Uh, and I think I think that the touch point is even if you're not particularly interested in the Beatles, is seeing creative people yeah. whose work has been like world changing, yeah. forming that from the ground up, and Absolutely. that's such a, in in the same way that you said you don't often get that that view. Seeing it so yeah. intimately from the start will be interesting, regardless of whether or not you're a particular fan of the Beatles or a particular fan of that music or anything like that. Yeah, I think yeah there's something yeah. there for even the, the the everyday person who doesn't know much about them. Really, I, I think it's really cool, and it's also like there's no talking heads and there's no narration. It's all just flying very observational stuff, and so you get this like window into the sixty and there's all these amazing outfits mm, uh, cool. and like interiors. And was it graded afterwards or was it filmed in colour? It was filmed in colour. Okay. But you, you can, there's some little like making of featurettes on YouTube where you can see that the original footage and the original footage that was released as part of the film back in like 1970 or whatever mm. is very sort of uh, drab and not very vibrant. Yeah, and it, as part of the restoration, they could really made it pop. And like mm. Ringo and George, they, they have these incredible, very vibrant outfits. Uh, and all, their, all, all the interiors are really nice and bright and colourful. Mm. And I don't know, it just makes it, it makes it, it looks like it was filmed yesterday. Okay. The song by the Beatles. One of yesterday. those songs yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've been really right. looking forward to this for ages, and it's exactly what it's, I have. You've been talking. So yeah, we got a group chat going, and um, you boys won't shut the fuck up about it. And I'm glad that you're enjoying it so much because I reckon, I, if it was just a mediocre thing, it would have really yeah. been a disappointment. I reckon, bro, you should watch like the first episode at least because the first I'm episode not, will get uh, you yeah. into it. In the same way that you talk about the Irishman, yeah. literally, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'll probably watch it at some point. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, Where, uh, where'd you watch it? It's only on Disney Plus. Okay, at the moment. Uh, but oh, there's a baller, some some baller shit about this. Um, so I've been listening to a whole bunch of Peter Jackson interviews uh, in the last couple of weeks leading up to this. Now that it's come out, I spoke last week about how they did that um, art, uh, AI neural network thing where they isolated audio oh, and yeah, eliminated the sound, stuff. Yeah, from, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a thing where uh, so each that he had originally committed to do a movie that was like two hours long, right? Uh, and at some point, the COVID thing delayed like a whole year and he was like great I was struggling to fit all the stuff into a two hour movie anyway I'll take another year and I'm not going to tell Disney but I'll just do like a <laughs> he was just like I'm just going to make it a six hour long thing <laughs> <laughs> great and at some point they signed off on like a six hour long thing like months later he was like oh by the way it's six hours and they're like what oh um yeah fine great no worries let's do it six hour <laughs> long TV series uh, and then that was slowly getting finalized and he showed them a rough cut of the six hour long it's thing and that got, that got signed <laughs> off uh yeah, and he was like, great. So uh I mean I'm pretty sure I'm pretty much done. Uh but I have a whole bunch of other stuff for like an extended cut. So we're doing a Blu-ray and Disney goes, Yeah, yeah, we'll do a Blu-ray. And he goes, Great. Well so uh when we do an extended cut, uh, I've got a whole bunch of stuff that we can do for the extended cut, so just let me know, yeah? And Disney was like, Oh, no, we're not doing an extended cut because no one buys those, uh, so we're just not doing it, sorry. And right. Peter Jackson was like, mm, cool, 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 cool. And he went back and just put all the shit back in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without telling them. Yep, right. And, and when, when the project was like due, it sounded like a unius time. And he was like, I just submitted the eight hour long cut where and I just, just added two it. hours of shit back in. Because he said, he said, he said, he was, he's like, all right, Jay, we're doing the extended cut. The thing that we're going to submit 
is it has to be the extended cut. We're not right. getting an extended cut. And he was saying like this shit's been in a vault for fifty years. He said like I'm There's not, not going to be a better chance. He's like I'm not I'm not leaving anything out that uh, that is just going to sit in the vault for another fifty years. Yeah. So everything's going to go into this. I appreciate so that. He submitted this eight hour long cut, and he was like, Disney watched it and didn't say anything. The Beatles watched it and didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it just made it through all the cuts, and I was like, "Oh fuck, I, I did it." I think it's stupid to view. I mean, like at that point, you're like, "It's not a feature film anyway," so it's yeah. never getting it down to like yeah. it's never getting in your two hours, whatever. No. I mean, so you might as well just make it a mini series. Yeah. And he has taken the piss a bit because like this, the middle episode is like three hours long, but uh, yeah, because it's, it's still... split up into days, you can watch them in little twenty minute chunks yeah, anyway. Sure, so yeah. it's it's fine. They probably could have divided mm. it up more. He it might be an artifact of the fact that he yeah. was like. How am I getting this through? <laughs> like, but it does mean that there's... Yeah. And I'll, I'll stop talking about it at the moment because I know, sorry. But like, <laughs> it does mean that like, um, there's some really like, not inane, but like day-to-day stuff that you wouldn't include in a, in a movie mm. if the movie was just like the greatest hits of them doing the yeah. songs. Um, but it just, it really humanizes and watch, like, there's, there's footage of like Paul playing with his daughter... And like uh, mm. John talking a ring, uh, John giving George tips about songwriting stuff. Like there's a bit where they talk about writing songs, and John goes like, um, "My best tip is like when you're in the mood to write a song, you're you, you're you're never gonna be you're never gonna be able to put yourself back in that mindset. Right. So if you sit down and you get struck by the mood and struck by inspiration, he says like the best thing you can do is finish that song then." Sit in it as long as you can. Sit in it and just finish it because you're never going to be able to get back into that mindset and finish that. It's going to take way longer to finish. Right. And George is saying like, uh, George says like, I remember you gave me that advice and now I've been sitting on this song something for like six months and I just can't fucking finish it. So you were right. It's little, right. Thing, little things like that where you'd never include it in a big long, in, in a little movie. But like when you have the space for this movie to breathe and for there to be all this extra space, it, mm. you get this little nuggets of stuff in there. Good argument for yeah, including material that's important for the art. Not ever. I think I don't think I think runtimes should be purely like a yeah, a, just a fact. I yeah. don't think they should ever be dictating decisions that you make around the film. But unfortunately, they're always going to. So, speaking of which, this epi is going to be a real monster. It's yeah, I'm I, keeping an eye on it, but uh, I promise not to talk right. about the Beatles until next week. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, should we listen to the trailer for Last Night in Soho and then get on to the movie? Yes, let's both do that now. <laughs> cool. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. La, 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 They're not just dreams. I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. What did you see? Do you believe in ghosts? I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still out there. Have to stop him. All right, so hope hope you enjoyed that trailer. So ho. (laughs) (laughs) He could do it as a Christmas special and call it Last Night in So Ho Ho Ho. Oh, that's better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what were you thinking of? Oh, no, I don't want to say. (laughs) 
All right. Christmas Eve in Soho. Okay. <laughs> we'll do your thing and then we'll do my thing. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. So, 2021, Edgar Wright, psychological. It's branded as like a psychological thriller horror kind of thing. I suppose it's probably what it is. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Yes, I suppose. Thank you. Long time coming. I was really looking forward to this. So it's 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 been we've been talking about this for almost since the start of the podcast I think because it's been his next big project since Baby Driver. Thomas McKenzie plays the main character who uh, is obsessed with the '60s and loves '60s art and fashion and design. She's a fashion design student. Imagine a person being obsessed with the '60s. Yeah, imagine. Imagine. <laughs> but also imagine it being like way more insufferable than you are. <laughs> Uh, and so she she gets she gets like a position at some London fashion college uh, and finds herself. I don't re- I don't really remember how Edgar Wright describes it in interviews uh, in order to not be spoilery, mm. but it's it's sort of like she finds herself like in her dreams. Is that all right? Yeah. So it, yes, essentially she dreams these. She has these dreams about um, this other girl called Anya Taylor Joy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not entirely clear whether or not she's imagining herself yeah. in that situation and she looks how she wants to look or if she's imagining a different person or whatever. Yeah, but, but in her dreams, she walks through London in the 60s. Right. So she like goes to sleep and wakes up in London in the 60s. It sort of follows herself around as yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy in the 60s. It kind of feels like it's a past life yeah. kind of thing because she's following like a real... P- it, it, it seems like in her dreams, she's following a real person from the 60s and sometimes there's flashes and weird things with the uh, like a like a memory dream kind of thing where mm. it feels like she is Anya Taylor Joy. Sometimes she's watching Anya Taylor Joy. That's the vibe. Like so she'll walk past a mirror and it'll be Thomas and McKenzie yeah. in the in the reflection, but it's Anya Taylor Joy in the real world. Yeah. Or whatever. So, so it's not clear, but yeah. Half of the movie is set in London in the modern day. Half of the movie is set in London in the sixties, right. and it's got a spooky kind of psychological kind of vibe to it. And in the in the um past Anya Taylor-Joy wants to be like a singer and a dancer and an entertainer or whatever so yeah. it's kind of her journey to try and find an agent and get made or whatever and then and get made like make she's a mobster <laughs> um, make it in the big time um, and Matt Smith plays the guy that's like offering her that opportunity right a- yeah. and and in the in the real world or the modern day Thomas and McKenzie wants to I guess like sort of I don't know. She doesn't really have a goal. She's she's well, studying. She's going to, she's going she's to fashion, studying fashion. She's going to fashion so. college. So that, that's her and goal. She wants to finish her degree. She's moved from a country town into the big city. So I guess it's also a story about her trying to trying to have set down roots in London and and assimilate yeah. in a way that's comfortable for her. Because like part of the first conflict is she goes and the, her dorm partner is really shitty and so she has yeah. to like try and find a place to live and stuff so I don't know how far we should go along this before we sort of move in for the kill because I feel like I know how we both yeah, know how elephant we in felt. the room neither of us really loved this movie a lot yeah I was really looking forward to it and uh, as is obvious I, I, I have an affinity for the 60s and that aesthetic and that vibe well, and, and the more art importantly and the music. for Edgar Wright and Edgar Wright, I, I've loved pretty well all the rest of his movies other than the World's End one. But like most mm. of his other movies uh, I've loved. Mm. And this has been the first one for me that I've kind of felt a bit cold on. Yeah, I was very cold on this. I didn't enjoy this really at all. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and it was one of, those, one of those really unpleasant experiences where 
um, it's not just that you're kind of bored by a movie. It's it's that the movie's kind of actively frustrating you in in a few ways. Yeah, and, I had um, that. So yeah, I kind of hope that if you like, if you want to see this movie, maybe you should just go and watch it. Yeah, I because I, I don't yeah. want to ruin it for you. Because I yeah. find if I I I kind of feel like the more I think about it, the more I'm ruining it for myself. So I because I think there's a lot to love. And there's stuff in the, the movie that I did enjoy. It's not like I was sitting there with my arms crossed the whole time. There's definitely stuff in the movie and scenes that I enjoyed and individual moments and shots and sequences that I liked a lot. Mm. But I just think uh, as, pa- as like an overall package, uh, I wasn't thrilled about it. So I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want. I don't want to ruin that for you. So I think. Um, I think Edgar Wright. I don't really know it's a good place to start with this. What yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, I think so. The production design, like, if we, okay, if we're going to talk about what's good, I All think right. this movie looks reasonably good. I think. I think visually, it's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think that the. So it's. Mm. Yeah, visually it's great. Well, it's a tough job for the production designer because they had to do the 60s and they had to do modern day and I think they did both very well. It always yeah. looks... Everything always looks like quite real, like you're in a room. I kind of wish that I'd had more of the 60s stuff. I feel like the 60s stuff felt to me a bit half-assed. Like, there's that first moment it she gets... Very, it felt almost pornographic where it just... It was like... It's like... um yeah, now we're in the fucking sixties. Look at the cars. Look at the yeah, dresses. Look at all. And it's that, like just be not be normal about it. You know. Yeah. There's that first sequence where she gets she like goes she wakes up in the sixties at night and she goes in the alleyway and there's the big cinema display with the Thunderball poster, and uh, the music soars and all the cars are whizzing past and then yeah. she goes into like a club and most of the other sixty stuff I've kind of found is mostly indoors. Mm, right, which I felt a bit. I don't. I don't really know what I was expecting, but I. I just felt a bit let down by it, and I suppose because it's supposed to be. Um, I don't know. It's 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 like a it's like a horror thriller kind of thing. So it's all taking place in the dark and at night. But I kind of wanted to enjoy all the exteriors and all the big open spaces of the sixties London. Right. But I feel like a lot of it was in little clubs and things, and I sort of all it really had was like a bit of a. Bit of a mid-century vibe to the design well, of the cool yeah. old snappy suits, and and I think that's I think what you're articulating the fact that it's it is in those like kind of cramped in little spaces where those yeah. conversations get had is not inherently a bad thing, and you could do that in an interesting way. But this for me felt very what what it lacked was that it lacked a soul yeah. in what it was trying to do in that time period, I, I and think, so it wasn't very interesting. I think I was expecting like a the boat that rocked kind of vibe. Right, not okay. in terms of tone, but I feel like that movie like lives and breathes the sixties. Yeah, you get a real feel for like the daily life uh, and the attitudes and all the pe- what people are like back then. Whereas mm. I feel like just because of the tone of this movie, you didn't really get many these really many opportunities to get that. Mm. And so I think we sort of talked about this before. There's lots of great sixties music that's in this, but I feel like there's no real reason for it being there. It's just this like, could be said in any time period. Yeah, and I thought that was a bit of a shame. Like, the, yeah. the, so Thomas and Mackenzie's character is obsessed with the '60s, but it sort of tells you that she literally like sits down and tells a perfect stranger on the tube. It may as well be like, yeah. "I love the '60s, and I wish I lived in the '60s." I could live any place in any time. I'd live here in London in the '60s. Yeah, how cool are the '60s? Like. Just like they're beating you over the head with it. It doesn't give you much of a clear reason why, other than the fact that her mother, who dies before the movie starts, uh, has like a 60s record collection Mm. and grew up in the 60s in London. But the movie doesn't really give you much of a... much of like a connection between Thomas and Mackenzie and her mother. It's extremely shallow. Yeah. Yeah, like it just starts with Thomas and Mackenzie like 
seeing visions of her mother in the mirror and being mm. like, oh, I wish I knew my mother kind of thing. But it doesn't even say that. So the fact that she has this affinity for the 60s isn't really very convincing, I didn't think. Yeah. And I think like... So already we're talking quite harshly about the setup and I, I, I agree with what we're saying. But the problem is like we're talking about setup and I think from here... Within the first five minutes you get this stuff. Right. And, and I think from here it doesn't get any better, to be honest. No. Like I think that the... Uh, I even So the setup is kind of like frustrating because it feels very much like a... Um, so Edgar Wright's often criticized for doing this kind of nostalgia baiting with a lot of, or with a lot of his, um, needle drops and stuff where he's just putting you in a, in like a good mood or meant to be triggering that kind of nostalgia-y type stuff from, or Stranger Things as well cops this criticism where they're like, there's nothing to it. It's just 80s nostalgia bait. And I don't agree with that about Stranger Things, but I don't really agree with that about Edgar Wright. I think he's done it with Baby Driver. I I also don't think so. And he's done like, there's a couple kink songs in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. like... I don't think I don't think it's a fair criticism to level at Edgar Wright until I saw this movie. Right, and, and so in this movie, and I agree, in this movie it did feel very egregious, and it felt mm. like there was no real reason for it to be set there other than he likes the '60s and wanted to, like, I don't know, look at stuff from literally, it. yeah. And, and so, but the problem is, then the storyline of the character, regardless of what time period they're in, yeah. I think was just bad. I think it really didn't fucking hold up for me it felt mm. for me like sorry and i know that we're meant to be talking about stuff that we like but it's it's difficult because there's not really much I'll, That's I'll, okay. I'll come back in two seconds to something that i did like about it but just to just to put a bow on this the the story felt like it meandered it felt like it didn't know what the fuck it was trying to do edgar Wright's yeah. stick i guess i'd never really thought about it this way but then i read a lot of people criticizing this film for not doing this as well as he usually does is he takes one genre like in hot fuzz it's um police procedural yeah and he turns it into its head onto another genre, right? Where it's like action film, American Hollywood shootout cop yeah. movies. So what are people thing, saying right? this movie is? So this is this is kind of like a um, moving to London coming of age story turned uh, cinema giallo, like a, a Italian horror movie or thriller movie type thing, right. like um, right. Suspiria. Um, which I've never seen any of the Suspiria um, films, but apparently they're all quite. It's it's it relies on that like. I think it's a lot of like paranoia, um, bringing into question the main characters like mental health and connection to reality and all their thrillery stuff based on that. Oh, hello there. I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here to tell you about some of the common characteristics of Jello cinema. So what exactly defines a Jello film? One of the most frequent traits in Giallo is the presence of violent at times over-the-top murder scenes often involving copious amounts of blood. These murders are usually performed by a shadowy, leather-gloved killer sometimes hidden beneath a mask, whose victims are normally scantily clad or nude women. The Giallo hero is typically an outsider, such as a tourist who finds themselves witness to the killer's acts. Many films emphasize psychology through the protagonist's paranoia and fear, or the madness of the antagonist. Many jolly films place a visual importance on colorful lighting featuring surreal camera work, 
Jelly films often use close-ups to show action while hiding the identity of the killers. But close-ups often focus on murder weapons, clues, or psychologically significant objects. This Gilbert Gottfried shit took over an hour to do, and frankly, it was not worth it. Okay, now cue the music and that star thing. That stuff is the stuff I thought was strongest in this movie. Yeah. But I, I didn't... But I think the turn doesn't really work. No. And, and so, so th the story that the character actually, that Thomas and Mackenzie's character actually just goes through, just is really fucking weak for me. And it's kind of confusing as well. I think, so yep. maybe, maybe we can get into a bit of, I don't want to spoil it. So there's a specific ending and we don't want to have to spoil that yet, but yeah. I want to move into a bit of like a mid phase kind of, kind of part of this movie sure. where we talk more about the middle meaty part of the movie. So, so where it turns from that coming of age story to being this thrillery. Yeah. So if you don't want to hear about this, see you later. And we can have like a, like a first, first phase spoiler here. Um, but I'm not going to spoil any kind of twisty, turny stuff that happens later on in the movie. So this movie at the, at the beginning, it sort of sets up this idea that Thomas and Mackenzie's mother was a schizophrenic. Yes. And gives you a bit of a hereditary kind of vibe yeah. where it's like Thomas and Mackenzie... She uh, sees a reflection of her mom in the mirror and stuff. She and sees ghosts. Uh, she sees hallucinations, yeah. I suppose. And her grandma says like, oh, you're seeing all these hallucinations. Mm. And I feel like maybe I missed something, but I didn't really... It took me way too long to realize that this was like a ghost story movie. Yeah. Because this is a ghost movie. But I thought for a long time it was like a schizophrenia mental health movie. Because there's a lot of periods, there's a lot of, most of the stuff that happens in the movie is Thomas and Mackenzie seeing all this stuff and going to the 60s and then having like traumatic experiences associated with that and seeing visions and thinking that she's having some sort of schizophrenic, uh, schizophrenic episode where right. she sees like in the modern day she'll see, like, if someone was killed in a room or some, something traumatic happened in a room where she was back in the 60s, she might see that happen in front of her while or she's she in the Or she sees herself day. being followed around by these, like, faceless people from the past. Yeah. And so I was really compelled, and this is the bit that I really enjoyed, I really liked that element of it as, like, a schizophrenia, mental health, paranoia right. kind of theme. And so as the movie goes on and... Uh, it's sort of that that doesn't really get dealt with very much. I yeah. didn't really like that. It sort of took me a while to be like, there's a bit, there's a point where the movie goes like, oh, they're ghosts. And you sort of go, wait, what? Right. And so none of this mental health stuff has this punch or this impact as much where, right. um, yeah, I don't know. I suppose Which like, sounds you, like it should be some great because it should be some great revelation where the yeah. character realizes like, oh, I'm not crazy, it's real. But it doesn't yeah. have that moment at all. No, and I was really confused watching it because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of times. So there's there's a moment where she ha she is like, so in her sixties dream, she has like a romantic encounter with Matt uh, with Matt Smith. uh, Matt Smith's character, and then she wakes up with a hickey. Mm. And so I sort of I, I suppose that was supposed to be my clue that this is really happening or there's something supernatural happening but I sort of I didn't really get it and I sort of I, I feel like this movie needed to make maybe this is my problem for not watching many ghost movies because I don't really like ghost no, movies no I don't think so but like I didn't really understand that these were ghosts I still thought at some point that it was like her mental health and she was having some sort of breakdown right you know right. what I mean did you get that it was ghosts I mean yeah I did but um, 
But I thought, but I didn't care by the point at which I realized that. Where I just thought, like, yeah. I don't give a fuck about what's happening to this character at this point in time. I was out from, like, I don't know, maybe like halfway through the movie where I just didn't, I wasn't particularly interested by it. And I thought it was really like, even the way that all the ghosts and shit are executed, it felt so trite and tired and tropey that I just was like very fucking. Yeah. Um, and also, like, I don't know what it was trying to say about um, about anything, really. Like, uh, yeah, it had bizarre messaging around like sex work and exploitation. Like, I don't know. It was it was just fucking. I didn't know what the storyline wanted. And even though it had like a clear intention of turning from this kind of like coming of age story to being this like thriller thing, yeah, it just never was convincing, and it felt like things happened for happening's sake, and not no, because they drove the plot forward in a no meaningful way. Closure in the movie ever. No, like there the isn't. sex work thing is sort of the, the story is like Anya Taylor Joy's character wants to make a big in showbiz and ends up being driven into sex work. Yeah, uh, and the movie just sort of goes, and that's life. Yeah, and that character doesn't have any like real meaningful closure, and then uh, I just want to well, spoil and the like, fuck. And, and, and so Matt Smith's character. This yeah. is another thing that bugged me. Like Matt Smith's character in the past, she finds this guy in the present that she's been that's been like kind of recurring in a creepy manner, and um, she finds him and she makes this connection that oh, that's Matt Smith, this old yeah. dude who comes into this bar that she works at regularly. Yeah, is Matt Smith, and she thinks he's killed. Anya Taylor-Joy's character in the past, right? Because she has this vision about it. Yeah. And she has a conversation with him about it where he speaks in the most infuriatingly cryptic way. And then this is a spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. He walks out of the bar after telling her, like, basically she's like, I know what you did. And he, and it's literally like this trite. He's, she's like, I know what you did. And he's like, you don't know anything about what happened to that girl. Yeah. And then he walks into the road and gets hit by a car and fucking dies. And you're like, right. <laughs> and then someone... What the fuck? And, and she's expecting people to go, no, Matt Smith. And they go, no, Barry. Yeah, and she's <laughs> like, what do you mean? Isn't that Matt Smith? And they go, no, that's Barry. Yeah. And that's... And, movie, and, 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 and Barry was a policeman working on the Matt Smith case. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is happening that comes right out of, now? Yes, right. So that comes out of nowhere. And it's like the movie has lied to you. It is. It's li- Yes, it feels very much like that. And not in a way that's in any way satisfying. And I, I like movies lying to you. This is a classic one for making promises that it doesn't fucking keep. You want to learn that and go, oh, cool. But instead right. you go like, what? What the fuck is going on? What the on? fuck? Yeah. And then the, the end of the movie, which we don't need to say, but mm. we can if we get later into spoilers, yeah. feels way worse than that. That's insane. Well, so, so, so this is, see, if we're getting more into spoilery stuff and I feel like, you, listener, you'll know when you want to tune out. But so the problem I have was at some point you have to work out she's not crazy so everything is really happening. Exactly. See, if she's not crazy, everything is really happening and the visions are really there, but only she can see them. Or it's some midway where she's right. so possessed by the truth of the past that she's losing connection yeah. to reality, but, the, but what she's seeing really happened or something. Because so, she goes to stab that classmate in the library Yeah. and where she thinks she's being chased around by these ghost men. Mm. And... Um, and she almost stabs her. And I'm like, well, I don't like this main character anymore. She's a danger to people now. Yeah, but I, I thought that as like a mental health thing, I thought, oh, this is great. She's really lost her grip. But right. then it doesn't really... So um, 
the, the Barry thing, for example, with this cop where it just tells you, oh, you know, he's not Matt Smith, he's a cop, like out of nowhere. Like, mm. that means that every single other... T- so I thought every time that guy was acting weird, part of the reason why he's act- it looks like he's acting weird is because we're seeing it through Thomas and Mackenzie's point of view. Right. And she has this paranoid... Uh, mental breakdown thing happening yeah. where she's viewing everything through this warped lens and sees this guy and sees him worse than he really is and maybe he's just a creepy old guy. And she's interpreting everything wrong and yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the fact, no, 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 she's not crazy. She's seeing ghosts means that he was actually behaving that way and actually acting like that. And he's such an unreasonable... It's such an unreasonable character. And it's not believable. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I mean by unreasonable. Yeah, it's it's not something... This film gives you nothing to latch on to that makes you satisfied at where it's going Mm. or what it's doing. It just feels like he wanted to make a a, a film that was like that type of Suspiria type thing. And so he made one that wasn't particularly good. Yeah, and the problem is that Edgar Wright is so like I don't know about famously, but if you follow him on social media and stuff, he's like he's very well versed in cinema. Yeah, and he's yeah. very he's very I, I don't know what the term is for like very well read, but with movies, but he's seen a shitload of stuff and he knows a lot about movies and he's I suppose what I said he's he's well versed in this stuff, yeah. so he knows like all the different tropes for all these horror movies and all these old tropey kind of sixties seventies horror movies, mm. and so there's a lot of that in here, but it feels sort of messed up and jumbled and garbled in a way that's not very convincing. And yeah, I was wondering yeah. if like the studio fucked him on it or something. I just made no. This film was fucking mm. very confusing. Yeah. So yeah, it was confusing. And so that's that's the... And not confusing in like, I, I don't understand what's going on. Not just in that way, sometimes yeah. in that way, but confusing in a, why would they do that? Yeah, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of emotional relationships and character motivations that aren't, that come out of nowhere. Unjustified, and aren't very, completely so unjustified. The, rela- the, the, the romantic relationship she has with her classmate yep. feels like it comes out of nowhere and isn't very convincing at all. Like and they there's have some like, lines that are so fucking bad. Yeah, like they have one interaction. Absolutely. There's heaps of terrible lines. And to be honest, it was a, it's, a, it's been a hot minute since I've actually seen the movie. So I don't remember the lines themselves. It, there's, there's literally lines like, like where she's in a phone booth trying to call home and he's like... Um, I can uh, I can take you back to your hometown. Let me drive you. And she goes, um, uh, I just want to be normal. And he says some <laughs> shit like, I love that you're different or some bullshit. It's yeah. so trite. Or he'd be like, what's wrong? You can talk to me. And so yeah, like, and then, the and then she's like, and then she goes like, oh, I, can't, I, I feel like I can talk to this guy. But there's a lot of like show don't tell problems with this movie yeah. where the character, like that classmate character where they end up having a romantic relationship, that sort of comes out of nowhere and you don't really believe, like if she's in such an invo- emotionally vulnerable space where she doesn't feel like she can uh, disclose what's happening to her to anyone, the fact that they have like one drunken hookup doesn't really, it's, it doesn't it doesn't feel like they sell it very much. Yeah, And no. she has this very intense uh, connection with her grandmother and with her mother and both of those don't feel like they're set up or justified yeah, very well, much she, at all. She has like a schizophrenic episode or whatever but some sort of episode during their mm. first hookup to the point where he gets he sh- she is screaming uh, to saying like stop it stop it stop it stop attacking me or whatever because she's seeing and he's worried at that, that point she's seeing Matt Smith um, kill Anya Taylor-Joy's character yeah and she's witnessing... It's not like he's occupying the body of either of these two people. They're both just in a room and she can see it and he can't. Yeah. But she's screaming about it. And so he gets kind of like almost run out of the building yeah. because she's screaming and he's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to think that... I don't want people to think that I've been causing this or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just fucking bails. 
And then the next time they talk, he's like, he's like, hey, here's your backpack. Yeah, and it's it's the vibe is like, um, oh, sorry. It's like it's almost like she just cried a little. He was, she's like, sorry about how it went down. He's like, oh, it's fine. Mm. It wouldn't fucking be like that. You'd be like, you need help. Like, yeah, or I, I sort or of you felt like in that time around the person or whatever. I don't know. It just wasn't yeah. believable at all that he no. would just be so. Um, so passive and candid or, I sort or of, cool with the way that she behaved. Or I whatever. definitely felt like he was very fucking awkward and maybe this is yeah. like an awkward guy and he feels like, I don't know if I did something wrong. Like I was on top of her. But they don't a- have that conversation yeah, ex- either. Exactly. But yeah. he was like, I was on top of you for a bit. Like, did I freak you out? I'm sorry if I freaked you out. It's We're in a classroom. I don't want to have this weird DNM with you. So I can definitely sort of see where he was coming from. But no, they didn't sell it at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, I think we can go out all out and spoil this because I'm sick of dancing sure. around stuff. So, so the, the problem, the problem that I, the main problem I have with this movie is that it sets up the idea that she's having this these schizophrenic hallucinations that end up just going nowhere. Yeah. So, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler for the end of the movie. But like the end of the movie, after the whole shit with all the ghosts resolves, is that it literally goes like three months later, and she's she's at her graduation and she's fucking fine, and we've yeah. seen her have these like full on. The Shining ass. Yeah, like this uh, woman can see the past. And, uh, she's had like the most intense schizophrenic episode you've seen. And then the movie goes like, psych, they were ghosts, she's fine. And then it's, yeah. it like clicks its fingers and it's this like love actually ending yeah. where she's at her graduation and everyone's smiling and applauding her as her designs get run down the aisle uh, and her friends are there and her grandma's there yeah and like she sees her mum her mum's ghost in the mirror and her mum's ghost like winks at her like fucking what the fuck but that wasn't i thought you were going to bring something else about the ending on which i felt was even worse than that which was um the turn that the old landlady that she's been staying with is anya taylor joy nowhere and anya taylor joy <laughs> is this fucking serial killer who was like this um abused sex worker that decided to take vengeance on all of her clients. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? And then so these and then ghosts, the ghosts that have been that chasing, saw. right? Are, are, are like stop, stop trying to kill her or whatever, and start begging her to help. In just the again, the most cliched scene in fucking history. It felt like a fucking like SNL skit or something. Yeah, there. Like, and this was, woman was, was trying. This woman poisons Thomas and Mackenzie so that she's like, oh. you know, because she, she's like, you call the cops round to the place and. But this, um, this woman now, is, now after 40 years They're going to mm. investigate And find all the bodies In my walls And it just yeah. makes No fucking It makes no sense. sense And then you're asking Like what do you Do you mean there's Literally bodies in your walls yeah. Wouldn't that smell Like you get all the way Down to all these Nitty gritty questions Because it's just like Such an out of nowhere twist. There was There was no Question earlier in the movie About like Dead bodies going yeah. missing There was no question About like a serial killer Or anything So it's just this Insane Twist ending. Yeah, and, and I haven't seen a lot of cinema giallo type stuff. So if this is like, I don't normal, know what that is. What is that? I it's like a, it's like a, that thrill. It's out of Italy. Giallo being like gallows humor or like right, dark, okay. whatever. But it's like, um, or I think it's yellow, like giallo, like yellow. Anyway, right. um, whatever. I'm not. I'll be fully. I studied this shit ages ago, but I can't right. fucking remember. I haven't seen a lot of these types of movies. Okay. If that kind of twist is normal in them, and he's just playing into the genre tropes, it, it doesn't work. Fine, they're they're bad. Like yeah. I don't care if that's if he's doing mm. a good job of emulating something bad. It's fucking bad. I agree. The ghosts it's in the movie. It's a bad movie. Yeah, these ghosts in the movie don't feel like ghosts. Well, they and do I feel the like, stretchy mouth faces yeah. thing, which is so. Fu- if I see, don't 
humanoid figure with a stretchy mouth, get the fuck out of here. I literally felt like... I'm so bored by that shit. I felt like it looked like a bad BBC Doctor Who episode. Yes, it felt... And I'm naughty... Yes, Doctor Who is a great touch point to how this felt. I said that before realising that, like, Doctor Who is literally in this movie. But, like... Right, right. I'm not saying that as a hammy gag. Like a 2002 Doctor Who episode. Yeah, like, the people, like, running in broad daylight from these ghosts that are these, like, stretchy mouths going like... Yeah. Like, the ghosts don't feel like ghosts, and I feel like they haven't set up enough of the supernaturally ghost stuff to the point where um, she's having this mental breakdown and ha- like have a very emotionally distressing period in her time, to- like very emotionally distressing, distressing time. Uh, and so you want to see her go through that and get over that. And I feel yeah. like her- the whole arc where she's like... Um, a country girl comes to the big city and like there's no there's no through line where it's like what she has to learn to have confidence in herself you don't see that like yeah. there's no emotional journey for Thomas and Mackenzie's character it's literally like she goes to London she has a breakdown the movie cuts forward three months and she's fine mm. and so you don't get like you don't get a character arc for her yeah and it's not like it's not like she has a moment of triumph over her landlady who you don't need that moment with. But no. it's not like she has that moment because there's this like weird accident that means that her landlady just like Burns. accepts her death in a fire. Yeah, it's very strange. It's very it has weird. has like a last minute change of heart type thing. Yeah, it's literally like she's like, I'm a serial killer and I'm going to kill you. And then two minutes later, it's like, I've changed my mind. Get out. Yeah, you deserve to live. Save you and the boy. It's fucking crazy. And there's so many... I also think there's other problems... I wrote that down. Save yourself, save the boy, oh, is what so she says. fucking stupid. <laughs> the, what I was most upset about about this film wasn't like the overarching story, although I, I disagree and I don't like it as much as... Oh, sorry, I, I, I disagree with choices and I, and, and I as much as I've articulated, don't like it. Mm. But the writing was really bad. It was like cartoony. It like felt like first pass. First like shit. we'll put this. We'll, we'll we'll fix this later. Yeah, like bad Joss Whedon type banter type shit. Like yeah. I, it just was really disappointing. The first twenty minutes of the movie were boring. Yeah. Yes. Literally. The, the, so there's one moment where I wrote down. I wrote down. Mm. Uh, there's one moment where she makes eye contact with that old guy. And it was about like 20 or 25 minutes in. And I wrote the first moment I'm interested in in this whole film is the bit where she locks eyes with that guy. Yeah. And like like her college roommates are these awful, like vacuous people that like yeah. don't have much of a personality Normal at all. girls. Ew. Right. And like they, and so suck, already, that's they a real, suck in a boring way. It's a really cartoony, boring, stereotypical, yeah. like snobby way to look at people. Yeah. Like it's like these people care about fashion and the movie's about a lady, a girl who cares about fashion. And it's like, it feels weird that this movie is laughing at these people for liking different fashion to her. Yeah. And like, it doesn't really play enough into the fact that they're cartoonish assholes yeah. and it just plays a lot in the fact that they only want to go out and drink mm. beer and be with boys or whatever. Yeah. And also like, we haven't met we don't really know Thomas and Mackenzie that much because no. it launches you into the story without telling you much about her. Yeah. And so the fact that she's not vibing with these girls that much, you don't really, you sort of understand. Well, it just makes her seem unlikable. Yeah. That's my main problem. Like with Thomas and Mackenzie's character, it doesn't, so the the first kind of maybe third of her character is 
She moves into this dorm room. She realizes her housemates are shit. She They're has like party this animal house type, party yeah. that she's like, yeah, has a really annoyed time with. And then mm. she goes and finds this other place to stay and ends up living in this loft with this lady where it's all old as fuck. But that, it all sucks. Yeah. And she's like, it's perfect. And so <laughs> what you're supposed to take away from that is that this character finally has this breath of fresh air where they feel at home in this yeah. place that they've and found. And she has like a very romantic sensa- romantic attachment to this old right. stuff. Uh, but but you're, no, yeah. you're not satisfied by that decision. Because no. she just, it just feels like, you know, I don't know, like she doesn't want to grow or experience new things and yeah. she's cagey and unfriendly and whatever. But it doesn't make, like, you can do that in a way that's endearing. And this was not endearing at all. No, I think that's the problem because I definitely hated these people and I can see myself doing exactly what. But it just meant, <laughs> I, but it just meant I didn't like any of them. I was like, fine, you want to yeah. go off and be on your own and suck and you all are boring and right. suck. Right. And then those people don't, those people don't come back in the movie at all. No, other than then, she goes to stab one of them with a pair of scissors. Right. And so I thought maybe the idea would be that like Thomas and Mackenzie has this like it, and this like coming of age thing where she has a she's not very self-confident and she doesn't love herself and she doesn't love the weird quirky things that make her her. Mm. Um and that she would learn to love those things about herself as the movie progresses. Right. But you don't get that up. There's not really that no. You don't, you don't I guess get the fashion that. thing at the end. But that's but not like earned. Not earned. Yeah, it's unearned. I think that's the like one of the taglines for this movie is that a lot of the payoffs <laughs> are completely unearned. And also the fashion that she goes and picks and says, I like this fashion, I think looks great. And then mm. her designs at the end of the movie look like dog shit. Yeah, I mean, that's. What I feel like, I don't know, that might just be a lot of modern fashion stuff yeah. where it's like the things it's inspired by look really cool yeah. and then it sucks. I don't know whether that was like first year first year fashion school stuff. Maybe. I don't know, but like I just thought like, yeah, like the trench coat she buys in that shop and like the dresses that Anya Taylor-Joy wears that she loves are great and the stuff that she's designing and sketching and her glasses look great. But yeah, yeah. the shit where she puts this like Star Trek like silver tape on the collars of the... Trend, uh, uh, and it looks like a garbage bag. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that was just a gag about like first year fashion school stuff. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe. But I just felt like it wasn't this moment of victory for me at all. There's definitely stuff I liked about this movie. I like the soundtrack. Again, I don't really remember a lot of the soundtrack because I feel like a lot of it didn't really feel like they happened at key times. It's literally stuff like, sorry, it's literally no. stuff like Anya Taylor-Joy is sitting on a bus with headphones on and there's a two-minute sequence where she just drives around the bus with headphones on. And I felt like the needle <laughs> drops were um, were not... So, like, Edgar Wright has, has done a really good job in previous films of his that I've seen of making... Like, picking a song that goes with the moment, right. not that literally says the lyrics that mean something about the scene. Whereas there's like, so she's running through like, um, she's uh sheep. Sorry. Thomas and Mackenzie is walking through London after she's had this premonition mm. and she keeps seeing shit. And the song that's playing is um, always something there to remind me. And it's like, <laughs> dude, that's like a title pun <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't fit the yeah. song and it just feels incongruous. And I'm yeah. sorry. I just think it's stupid. But, and, but also like within the context of the movie, the movie hasn't been funny. Like Hot Fuzz no. does that when he's running through the village and it plays the Village Green Preservation Society by the right. Kinks. Yeah, sure. But the movie's being cheeky and silly. And so that feels cheeky and silly. And it fits with the tone. Yeah. yeah. It, but it, it just doesn't fucking. No. It's so it's like such a. Yeah. You pick the first thing that came to your head. Like yeah, first draft shit. I was just so I feel dumb because I realize there's bits where the the visions that she sees are transparent, mm. and so that's a ghost thing. And like, but I just I just did not realize there were ghosts until like the end of the movie when I was like, why is she not still deeply unwell? 
Right. Like, I was just so confused and I was so satisfied. And there's so many great tense... Like, the person I was seeing the movie with, we were so tense and there were bits where we were, like, gripping each other, being like, fuck, this is... You know, you know like, looking at each other, being like, fuck, like, how intense is this? Like... Uh, and so there were some bits where they captured the suspense really well. But mm. then there were other bits where like uh yeah, it just felt like a dumb like a like a dumb cheese ball BBC Doctor Who episode. Yeah, and like it really was the bad. bits where like that car thing where a car almost hits someone happens like three times and it's this cheap jump scare every yep. single time. Uh the six, the you're right. The music not fitting with Edgar Wright does this thing where the music fits with the scenes, and I'm not asking for like edits on the beat, but like I don't really remember any of the music that happens in this. Yeah, that much. Other than the first song, which was written by Paul McCartney. Right, great. Um, you've reached your allocated Beatles related time for this episode. So. No, yeah, I'm kidding. No. Um, I, I did promise not to mention the Beatles again. Honorable stinker of a line goes to when she says, uh, Thomas and Mackenzie says, uh, she asks a bartender who, or the owner of the bar that she's got a job at, um, do you believe in spirits? And the bartender responds, of course. Oh, yeah, some shit like, fuck? of course. They make, they pay for this place yeah. or some <laughs> shit. Like, it's just fucking horrible dialogue, like, dude. That, uh, Embarrassingly like, bad. But it's not delivered like the landlady. It's delivered like they thought it was clever. Yeah, I like thought, the writers I thought, it was thought it was clever. Right, it's not delivered like the landlady and the character thinks she's making a pun. No. It's like she thinks that Thomas and Mackenzie is asking if she believes in whiskey. Yeah, it's fucking <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, I don't know, there's mm. a lot of moments where, so I've watched some behind the scenes and stuff, and they they said, like, you know, they do a lot of um, uh, practical effects, with stunt, especially with stunt work in a lot yeah. of his earlier films, where, um, I don't know, it'll look like a character, like, the bit that I'm thinking about is, like, in Hot Fuzz, where um, Sean Pegg jumps over the fences, and then the last one, he does a couple of somersaults, and yeah. it's called like a, I think Texas it's called a Switch. Texas Switch, right? Yeah. Where the the person, the real the actor ducks the real person, the actor ducks behind a fence, or and then the guy that can do the backflips is a waiting, man, right? Yeah, right. And so that dancing scene where Matt Smith and Anya like Taylor Joy, well, so I watched this behind the scenes thing, and it's Matt Smith and Anya Taylor Joy, right? So it's sorry, Matt Smith, Anya Taylor Joy, and Thomas and Mackenzie. Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor Joy sort of switch places while they're both dancing so with Matt Smith. So only one of them is dancing with Matt Smith at any time, but Matt Smith will like twirl Anya Taylor Joy around, yeah. and she'll spin, disappear off camera for like a second, and then when she spins back, it's uh, Thomas and Mackenzie. Right, and they did it in one take. Yeah, and there's. Uh, one takes are cheaper because you only have to have one setup and often they're quicker. Yeah. The trade-off is the harder to nail in one go. Yeah. So there are some things where it's like, I can understand, one takes can be very impressive and they can be very immersive, but I that was an example of something that, that felt, yeah, it felt yeah. very um, unnecessary and self-indulgent. And I think, actually, I, I suspect a lot of this film was done because Edgar mm. Wright thought that the scene would be fun to film. There's Not a lot of that. that the scene actually is good to watch. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to shit on the guy too much, even though I like I like Edgar Wright as a filmmaker. I'm worried that this is indicative of the type of film that he's going to keep making. Because like for me, this is a real stuff. southern turn. Like, I don't yeah. think this is good at all. And no. I, I worry about like the writing. Like, and like, we, we, you had a long time to yeah. make this. And he wrote it with someone else. Like, 
two people yeah. two people fuck this so <laughs> I, I don't know I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was pretty fucking cold on it and I don't yeah. want to shit on the guy or make it sound like you just made something that was like self-indulgent or bullshit but it just I think this one was a big fucking well, miss dude the, the other thing is that I've been watching a whole bunch of horror movies recently and I think I've realized recently that I don't like horror movies because when a lot of people yeah, say it's hard to classic, have a good one. classic horror movies they're not scary they're like hammy cheesy like monster movies the slasher like type shit slasher yeah. shit so like I watched um, just recently I watched The Nightmare on Elm Street as an example yeah and it's the same cheesy bullshit so yeah, like it's bad. if this guy's saying like he wants to write a horror movie and that's kind of what he's going for maybe it's just not for me because honestly heaps of people like those slasher horror movies heaps of people have liked this mm-hmm. Mark Kermode loves ghost movies and dumb horror movies and he fucking loved this movie and he thought this was the most Edgar Wright Edgar Wright movie I've had two people describe to me the sense that they felt like this was like a masterpiece of Edgar Wright and I just think you're insane yeah I, I feel I'm like- sorry I just think that there are so many cracks in the surface of this yeah. film that run deep like to the point where the message is behind I think the message is underpinning this film mm. and no, like not every film has to be trying to really hard to say something but I felt like this film was kind of trying to say something I didn't hate this movie until the third act and then in the third right. act when I realized it didn't wrap anything up and it wasn't saying anything yeah and it and if it didn't. was saying stuff, it was saying bad things. <laughs> and it didn't do anything with what it had set up. Then I hated it. Yeah. But like, so, yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. But like, no, yeah. It's fine. I didn't. I didn't hate this movie until it went nowhere. And so like, I kind mm. of thought this was a fun movie. And then I thought like, oh, you've wasted my time. Yeah. But it took itself too seriously to try just yeah. to be a fun movie. Uh, yeah. And uh, also, yeah. again, there's lots of bits that I did love, but I was just looking forward to this movie so fucking hard. Yeah. That I knew it was gonna. I knew I didn't think you were gonna like it because I saw it first, and you were like, "Oh, you just saw it," and I was like, "Yes, I just (laughs) saw it." Because I just knew it was fucking lukewarm, (laughs) dude. (laughs) Oh man, yeah, I was real bummed. And so I feel like maybe I know I'm wrong because so many people like this, and so many people like those horror movies that, like, I know it's not like people like Marvel movies and Marvel movies suck. So many people like this horror movies that I feel like this just isn't for me. And maybe mm. he's done something that's a genre that's not for me and that's fine. And honestly, there's bits in this movie I love. Like I've been talking to people off the off the air about bits in this movie that I liked in a similar vibe to you where I didn't want to come out straight up and say, I hated that dumb fucking movie. So I was trying to vibe. Like <laughs> right. I think I was talking to like Mary, for example, about it. And so there's, there's stuff in this movie that I liked about it. But I just... I just feel so let down and I feel like maybe I just have to come to terms with the fact that I don't like horror movies. I mean, yeah. I like scary thriller movies. Right, but there's things, there's horror movies like Hereditary that are fucking terrifying and tense the entire time and then there's horror movies that aren't really trying to be like that, like Psycho Gorman or whatever. That's not really a horror movie, you know? It's like a gory... Silly horror movie. Right, schlocky type thing. This movie ended up being schlocky but in a boring way. And yeah. uh, not schlocky in a way where it felt like it had real love for the things mm. that it got made from. Actually, so these are other movies that... So, so uh, Carrie. I watched Carrie recently, right. which is a Brian De Palma horror movie from 1976, which is exactly the same kind of schlocky bullshit. And apparently, Edgar Wright fucking loves Carrie and right. got Thomas and Mackenzie to watch a whole bunch of old horror movies as inspiration for this, and that was one of them. So, like... I think this just isn't for me. I think I'm just missing something or this is like a throwback piece and maybe the fact that it's set in the 60s is part of the idea that it's this throwback. Like, yeah, I don't know. We've right. said the same thing three times. I just I just feel like I'd, I'd, I don't want to I don't want to come across like I'm calling people that like this movie dumb because I'm not. And I feel like I'm, I'm coming across as some kind of elitist. I will. 
<laughs> I just I just feel bummed I didn't like it, man. Like these people that liked it, I just want to like it because I love it. You're right. Yeah, I think so. There's, there's I love a couple all the actors in this movie. I love all the music in this movie. I love where it's set. Yeah, like I love scary shit. Like why don't I like this movie? There's a couple of letterbox reviews. I won't read the whole thing, but a few excerpts that I think of people that have done a better job of kind of summing up how I felt about it than than I have. Could have read this before we started talking about the movie. That's fine. Um, well, I think it's. I think people will understand what we're. What, yeah. Why I'm reading this more now, but. Um, so this is from Josh Lewis on Letterboxd. He says, "Everything about how this has been, so- everything about how this has been self-consciously stylized, makes it far too cute and polished to enter the ugly and surreal realm that a movie like this needs to get to." I'm sorry if this is uh, okay. Let's skip that bit. In, in, <laughs> uh, he talks about how movies made by people like Polanski are better because right. the creators are perverts, which I don't agree with. But <laughs> oh god! But in twenty, but I yeah, oh I, no, I we aligning ourselves with this guy. <laughs> no, I disagree with that part of the review, but I agree with this part. In 2021, there's nothing here but shallow image recreation, and not even very good recreation. Mm. And male feminist apologia for trafficking in those problematic images. Misogyny existed in the 60s. Nostalgia is bad. Thank you, Edgar. Right. Uh, by the end, the whole thing is pretty embarrassing and incoherent, and worst yeah. of all, not remotely scary. Um, and, and then this other person, uh, I cropped the name, bad luck, dude, um, <laughs> says, the direction and editing here are shockingly lifeless. It feels like anyone could have made this. I don't yeah. think the genre shift is a valid excuse either. Baby Driver is an action movie that still feels distinctly like Wright's handiwork. This feels genuinely amateur in places, both on its own and especially in comparison to Wright's otherwise spotless filmography. I wouldn't say spotless because well, it's sucked ass, but... um, (laughs) But yeah, and then he also says, which I agree with, the cast is great in spite of how trite and stock their characters are, which like, I do agree. I think that the performance the, yeah. of the main, especially Arnie Taylor-Joy yeah. and Thomas and McKenzie and Matt Smith to an extent, yeah. is good, but I think they are given shit to work I with. I agree. They had to lean into... I, I, I feel like this needed another pass. They had to lean into the supernatural ghost stuff a bit more. I liked the idea of... like All the ingredients in this movie are there. Yeah, it's, it's the, got the, a lot of thing, wasted like, potential. And then the idea that it's a, it's a ghost movie set in London where the idea is... Every, she, the old lady says, like, someone has died in every single room in every single bar in this town or yeah. whatever. Like, that idea is great. They needed to lean into that a bit more to really, like, give you that eerie feeling. None of, nothing about this felt eerie yeah you're right in the way that a ghost movie feels yep. so you don't feel like you're getting chills and spooky you're just getting cheap jump scares and these like flashy visuals that make you feel like oh this is like a i keep harping on about the schizophrenia thing but i think it's because that's the that's my favorite thing in horror movies that scares me specifically mm-hmm. so when i saw it going that way i thought oh i'm set up for a good time right and so like but you just get that and then w- when it goes back and punks you and says oh it was a ghost movie you feel like well uh, you, you, you fucked me but like everything about this is great and it's set up to make me like it you right know what i mean yeah and you've got the historical thing you got lo- a ghost movie set in london with flashbacks to the past in london in the 60s with 60s music and all these great acts uh, the actors and all mm. the edgar wright doing the visuals and like Oh man, I feel so let down. It was it was a real disappointment. It's yeah, real unfortunately, bummer. I was laughing at the shit at the end where the old lady is waving a knife in front of Thomas uh, McKenzie, and the, so the whole screen goes all wavy like it's an oh arc, like it's a fucking like, Windows movie maker like a effect. Fucking TikTok. <laughs> 
I was embarrassing. I was laughing at the screen at really that point, man. Embarrassing. I was I was the only one in the cinema laughing at the screen. I feel very I, self-conscious talking about like Edgar Wright having uh, been like doing something which I would be embarrassed about, but like it really was like that wavy you... visual shit. I, I honestly think it's it's like, horror throwback. It's not for us. It feel like he needed someone to just pull him aside and be like, "Hey, man, listen." No. This is not working. Yeah. Like, a lot of this this script is yeah. not working. Like I said before, I think it's a horror thing that we just don't get. It's I, not for us. We've I don't missed even it. think that, man. We've, we've missed, like... I think, I think we've this missed... This is, like, his worst reviewed movie, I think. And really? I think there's a reason for that. I, yeah, I think okay. so. I think it's... Because like, normally he does really yeah. well. Yeah. So, some people call him Baby Driver, but, yeah. like, man, this is... I think this is a clunker. Yeah. If you like... <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know better than worse, and because it doesn't, it still feels very distinct, I suppose. But I, I'd say mm. you probably have a better time going and watching some of those classic cinema Jello films, like um, right. like Suspiria. Okay, apparently. well, I'll say so. I like, I mean, despite the star ratings I've given these, I liked this a lot more than I liked Carrie. Okay, and I liked this a lot. I enjoyed this and was immersed by this a lot more than I liked A Nightmare on Elm Street. Sure, which are two classic horrors. Um, I didn't like this. In terms of horrors, the golden standard of all horror movies ever is uh, Hereditary, Hereditary, which I liked a lot. (laughs) And then in terms of like a 60s period piece, man, like this didn't capture the 60s vibe nearly as much as uh, The Boat That Rocked. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I know they go on for very different things, but you're you're totally right, actually, about the the atmosphere of the time. Yeah. Um, And I know that people leveled the criticism that Boat That Rocked is just nostalgia bait. And yeah. And it is, I but guess it does it well. Maybe, but it's also about a group of people mm. in the dying era of that nostalgia and the but sadness it, that they feel like this This is a moment yeah. that we're in that's going to not last. But this movie literally has a person saying, I love this time period, and I'm going to travel back in time <laughs> to this time period, and it doesn't sell it. No, I the don't think so. The fact that it doesn't sell that is mind-blowing to me. That's what we got. We've run long this week. Yeah. If you like this movie and you hate, you've hated hearing us talk about it, I'm sorry. Yeah, I wish I liked it too. We yeah. haven't hated the movie in a while, and honestly, it's felt fun to shit on our boy. Yeah, we, we keep uh, fawning over wish... movies, and this is this is our little time to feel like we're smart. I, I well, after I saw this, I was like, "Fuck!" Has he not had a single hit since Hot Fuzz? And then I thought, like, "No, he did Scott Pilgrim, which I yeah. always forget about. Yeah. He did Baby Driver. He's a, I he really like movies. He's one of my favorite directors. He I was just so bummed. fucking missed so hard on this one. Yeah. So anyway. I'm sorry if you hated listening to us talk about that. I hope it was interesting. I hope this was cathartic if you didn't like it. Uh, I think that's why we, I talk yeah. about it in the way that we do, because it's yeah. not fun to just shit on something. No. But this, uh, I think enough people are going to be disappointed mm. by this that they want to listen to us be yeah. cold on it. If you thought we were wrong, let us know, man. If, if, you're, if you're mad, if you're mad, listen, if we missed something, if there's something you loved about this that we didn't talk about, honestly, it's been like a week or two since we saw the movie. Let us know. Write us in. Our email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook discussion group that no one uses. You can use that group mm. to discuss why we're wrong. I'd love yeah. to hear it because if I miss something, I'm, I could go back and watch this again. If you t- if you can pitch to me why, not that you know, mm. I'm sure you could tell me yeah. to go fuck myself. But if you could explain to me why I should enjoy this film, yeah. I'd be interested. But I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like you're, ne- you're never gonna make a you're never gonna make any mileage with Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> the fact that I didn't I'm realize minded bitch. <laughs> the fact that I didn't realize it was a ghost movie until I finished the movie means that makes me feel like I could almost watch this again with that in mind and enjoy it. But uh. like. I feel like I wanna, so convince me. <laughs> that's it. That's all. That's all for the week this week on Beef Station. You're probably listening to whatever '60s bullshit Edgar Wright liked right now. So you know, have a go at that. I think next week we're gonna do Dune. 
Well, so yeah, there's a couple of we got a whole bunch, man. Dune, that Wes Anderson movie's out. We gotta watch that. Yeah, and also I saw a really great um, French movie called uh, Titane that is fantastic. I don't think Oscar's gonna see it. Maybe I'll talk about it for beef muscle pleasure, but it's really good. Okay, <laughs> probably Dune. Probably, Probably June. June. So watch June. We'll see you next time. Yep. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. See you later. Bye bye. You came into my life like rain upon a barren desert. Was smiling now was born again. I felt sure it wasn't too late. I found strength. Got a little job for you, this is what you've got to do. Whoa.